like you can just feel the stress melt off you as she is playing that. It is so good to be with you all this morning. I am excited. I'm wound up. I had a conversation this morning that I need your input on. Uh, Sound booth guys are like, oh gosh. Who has not read Chronicles of Narnia? Oh my goodness, there's so many of you. You should. You should. Who has not read that book? Pilgrim's Progress, thank you. Who has not read Pilgrim? Oh my goodness. I am amazed at these numbers. Uh, if 2022, you're going to make a resolution, I highly recommend those. Uh, there's eight books, actually. There's seven Chronicles of Narnia, one Pilgrim's Progress, and the symbolism between the Christian faith and the way that they write about it is amazing. And if you're going to make any kind of resolution, I encourage that. Eat healthy, sure. Read those books. Top of the list, I believe. So um, that surprises me. But you know what? It's all right. I still love you guys. So, um, <laughs> all right, one more question. Who has never broke a bone? Wow, I'm impressed. That's especially some of you. Like, <laughs> I know you. Um, I'm surprised. So when I was in kindergarten, that is the one and only bone that I broke. We were on those little four-wheel dolly mover scooters that we were on a tile floor. And I mean, you could scoot along those things. And so me and my friends, we would race, we'd push them, jump on them on our knees, and then just slide for eternity, it felt like. And then finally you come to a stop in the way that you stop because you got to beat your friend. So you're going full speed until you you stop yourself on a wall. And so if you're headed towards the south, the wall was hollow. If you're headed towards the north, the wall's not hollow. And so I was racing, and my friend was like, we were neck and neck. I had to beat him, so I gave myself one last push with like 10 feet to go, and then I stick out my hand to stop myself, and it dislocated or broke my wrist bone to where it shot up into my palm. And I was in kindergarten, so I was, like, freaking out. And to make matters worse, a friend of mine had just been bit by a horse, and they had to amputate his leg. And so in my mind, I'm next. And so we're, my mom was at the school, she grabs me, we get in a friend's car, they're driving us back to the hospital, which was like a 12-minute drive, and the whole drive back, I am begging my mom, don't let them amputate my arm. And my mom starts out real confident, they're not gonna. By the time we get to the hospital, she was like, I have no idea if they're cutting it off or not. I don't know, Andy. And, but I tell you that because... We had done that drive from my house to the school every day, and it was a quick drive. I mean, it really 10, 15 minutes didn't take that long. But when I was in that excruciating pain, wondering what was going to happen, I tell you, that was the longest drive of my life. A drive that seemed like it, it wasn't supposed to be very long, a, a drive that I'd gone through multiple times, it wasn't that big of a deal, was just fine. But then when you add pain and uncertainty and just this, this difficulty that I was going through, it felt like it lasted forever. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Where it's like, hey, I've gone through difficulties, but this one, I don't know if it's ever going to end. 
Hey, I've gone through trials, but really, I don't know how this is going to work out. Because it's one thing to wait. Like, we can wait. I mean, like, you know, a drive to Kansas City to see family, it's a long drive, but you can make that drive. A drive to Kansas City to find out the result of a diagnosis, that's an unbearable long drive. And so waiting is one thing, but waiting when you're going through difficulties and trials, that's an entirely different thing. It adds to the length of time. It seems like time literally slows down whenever we're going through those trials. And so that's what we're talking about this morning as we continue on in our Christmas series where it seems like God is silent. Because remember, for 400 years, God was quote-unquote silent, even though he wasn't really silent. He was working. And they had to wait for 400 years for God to reveal his plan. But then sometimes, it's not just waiting. It's waiting through difficulties. It's waiting through trials. And it makes it that much harder. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. When God is silent and we're called to wait in the trials. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and then also I would encourage you, if you're following along in your Bibles, to find 2 Corinthians, as we're going to really cover a vast majority of 2 Corinthians this morning as well. And so if you'll stand, we're going to read the account of the birth of Jesus according to Matthew, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. Now the birth of Jesus, starting in verse 18, Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father God, we are so grateful just for what this time of year represents. That you, as we just read, Emmanuel, came down to be with us to endure what we endure, to experience what we experience so that you can relate to us. And so, God, I just pray that as we dive into your word more, God, speak to us. God, help strengthen our faith in you regardless of what we're going through. God, you have a message for us today, and I pray that it is delivered clearly and received upon an open hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And so you look at this. I mean, here we are. Christmas is coming upon us. Two weeks away now. And what is considered, you know, there's a song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You, you Hallmark movies. I mean, I don't know if we have any Hallmark channels, but like Hallmark Channel 24-7 is playing sappy Christmas stories right now where you always know how they end. 
but yet they keep bringing you back because it's heartwarming and it just feels so good. Because we're in this time where, as the Hallmark movie shows, snow's falling, families are joyful, everybody's able to get along, there's a little who's going to date who conflict going on, but it all gets resolved in the end. The guy gets the girl and the girl gets the guy. It works out. And we have these, these thoughts in our minds of, you know, the nativity scene, and uh, Hannah just did an incredible job of playing a song called Silent Night. So beautiful. Just removes all your stress away. And I mean, it's like, man, this is a joyful time of the year. And what we do is we take that, and you look at the nativity story, and you read Isaiah, and you read Luke chapter 2, and Matthew, the birth of Jesus, and you just get these, at least if you're me, these old nativity story images in my head. I grew up with precious moments where everybody's got the halo around their head, and it's just so beautiful, you know, not a creature is stirring. And then you relate that to reality, to what it really was like, where the nativity story is one that is full of trials, one that is full of just conflict, and I'm sure it really didn't seem very peaceful. In Matthew chapter 1, we're told a couple things. First off, it's a virgin birth. Can you imagine revealing that to people? In a society where birth outside or pregnancy outside of wedlock was enough to get you stoned, and here Mary hasn't had sex, but yet she's pregnant, and she's going around and telling everybody, the Holy Spirit has conceived inside of me, and everybody's like, please, nice story. Get off the grape juice, woman. Like, come on, what are you doing? You're crazy. She's drunk. She is insane. And then here she's supposed to tell her betrothed husband, hey, I'm pregnant. It's not your kid. It's actually God's. And we're told that Joseph was a just man. He didn't want to bring shame upon her, but he also maybe wasn't believing her. So there's turmoil in their relationship. And Joseph is ready to divorce her. Because he's like, you must have been unfaithful to me. How could you do this? We were going to get married, and now you're blaming God for this pregnancy? It hasn't happened. And then he has the dream, and so it works everything out. But on top of this, now she's pregnant. There's a census that is going to take place, so they have to travel. And she's about due. And she's on a donkey, traveling hours She's not in a Lexus convertible that has a massage chair. She's on a donkey and putting on all these miles. I mean, it's difficult. I saw a meme the other day, and I didn't know if I was going to share this, but we're going for it. And it said the real reason for Silent Night, and it's Joseph at the end, and Mary's like, did you forget to make a reservation? And it's the real reason for the Silent Night. (laughs) It worked. Anyways, there's just turmoil and trials and struggles surrounding it all. On top of that, they don't get a room in the inn. She has to give birth in a barn. They have to lay their newborn baby in a feeding trough. There's nobody there to really welcome them. Shepherds show up, but really the main welcome to this world, king of kings and lord of lords, is animals. It smells. It's dingy. 
They really have nowhere for him. The whole story is surrounded in turmoil. And then they get a message from God saying, you need to get out. Go to Egypt. Because on top of all of this, Herod is now jealous. And Herod has decided if there is a a child that is a boy under two years old, murder him. Go and kill every single newborn child up to two years old. And so surrounding all of this, these women that Mary might have known now as she's fleeing, she's realizing their kid's not making it. He's getting murdered at this moment. Not really a silent night. Not really this beautiful moment in history except that it is. And through all of that, can you imagine the uncertainty that would be going through Mary and Joseph as they have to wait? As they have, as they have to wait in another country because all of their friends' kids are being slaughtered? As they have to wait to see this child grow up and become the Messiah? as they have to wait through the struggles of every person in society looking down on them because they don't believe that that's God's child inside of her. I mean, they were needing to wait like crazy. Silent and peaceful is probably the farthest thing from reality that followed the nativity story. But yet God had a plan through it all. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to the chaos that goes on there of needing to wait. Being told something, God telling you this is what's going to happen, but yet waiting and being like, God, it's hard to wait. Not only do I have to wait, but now there's difficulty on top of it. Now I have this stress of uncertainty. Now I have people calling me crazy because I'm following you, but it seems so countercultural. Nobody believes this, but yet, God, I believe it's from you. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's outside influences that are coming into your life and they are making things difficult for you. And yet you're like, man, God, what do I do whenever it seems like you are so silent in these trials of my life? What do I do? And so this is where we kick over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 4. And what we're going to see through, uh, just we're going to jump through Corinthians, is how God works through our trials. And how God has a plan for you through difficulties that you're going through. And so we're going to look at three things on how we wait in the trials. Because here's the thing. Trials are inevitable. Trials are going to come upon your life even after you give your life over to Christ. You're going to face difficulties. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It's coming in the world, you're going to have times where it's like, God, where are you in this? This seems so dark and horrible. How are you working through this? And sometimes we're called to wait for the answer. So what do we do while we wait? 
Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 tells us this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is eternal. So these light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal glory. But the truth is, that is a hard view to have. Light, momentary, seems everything but whenever you're caught up in those moments. Whenever you're in the storm, it seems like it rages on forever. So what do we do? How do we hold on to the promise of God through the trials? First thing we do is we wait in prayer. We wait in prayer. We constantly come before God and we let him know what is on our heart. We let him know what we're going through. We share everything with him. Honestly, I think a lot of times we get Christianese in our prayer life even. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Where I feel like I have to have this specific prayer with God and I can't really open up. I can't really say everything that's going on because I totally understand there is a reverence. We need to remember who we're talking to. But at the same time, he says, let your requests be made known to him. And so I think we have open dialogue with God of like, God, I don't trust you right now. God, if I'm honest, I don't see you working. I don't know what you're doing right now. God, are you even there? Because I'm, I'm praying to you and it feels like I'm talking to the air. God, I'm not seeing you working. I'm here. I'm seeing your promises. I'm hearing your promises, but I'm not seeing the results of your promises that we actually have that truthful dialogue with God. We open up our hearts to him. You see, Paul knew what it was like to be in difficulties. I mean, his, his Christian life, there was Saul and then there was his encounter with Jesus and then there was Paul. And Paul knew pretty much nothing but turmoil, nothing but affliction for the gospel of Jesus. But he also knew how it was to be comforted in those difficulties. Second Corinthians is considered his letter of affliction. Because just look, in the first chapter, we're going to jump back to chapter 1. In eight verses, he says comfort ten times and affliction or some form of affliction Eight times. Comfort ten times, affliction eight. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see the theme right now? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Look at this. 
we despaired life itself. We were ready to die. That's the extreme that Paul, who had this hope in Christ, was experiencing difficulties that he's like, man, we were so burdened, I was ready to throw in the towel. We were prepared to die. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, Paul was experiencing this difficulty. He was in such turmoil that he was ready to die. But notice what it said right after that. But this was not so that we would rely on ourselves, but so that we would rely on God. A lot of times when we go through trials, it's for us to turn back and rely on God. If we turn those difficulties to turning to God through prayer, we find that his promises are true. We're reminded of his promises. Where he says in first, or 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. Everything God says he's going to do, he's going to do. He is faithful. And we, when we pray, are directing our minds back to God, back to his promises, back to who he is. I've heard it said, faith is not that God is going to give us everything we want or even necessarily everything we need. Faith is trusting that God is who God says he is and that God is good. And so when we are in trials, we turn our faith towards God in prayer, relying on him, relying on his power, not our own, as Paul just said. Paul goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the sur surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. When you go through trials, don't rely on your own strength. Rely on God. Realize it's his power, not your own. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 14, we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, whenever you're going through difficulties, what we like to look at is what we can see. We like to look at what we can control. That's usually why we start freaking out. Because we realize, I can't control this. And so then, honestly, what we do is we look to what's unseen. We look to the things that we can't control and how we can't control it. So if you're like me, fellow catastrophizers, what we end up doing is we end up playing the worst case scenario. We don't even know how it's going to work out, but we know it's going to be really bad. And so then we start running down those paths ourselves, and it just gets worse. And what God is telling us to do is don't run down that path. Run to me. Find your hope in me. See how I'm working through it. 
Lift your eyes to me. For we look to what is seen, but we're told to look towards what is unseen. Towards God. Towards his power. Towards his working. Then Paul continues on in chapter 5. For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan, we're burdened. Not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our, our aim to please Him. So even as you're going through the difficulties, the trials, whatever it is, Paul is saying, man, we despaired life itself. But even in that, we used it to turn us to God. We used it to turn our strength and our focus and our our reliance upon God, not upon ourself. And so while we wait, we wait in prayer, turning our attention, our focus, our desires, and God, whatever it is, to Him. But you see, there's also a common misconception about trials. Because a lot of times we try and internalize it. As much as I'm scared to tell God what's really on my heart, I'm even more scared to tell people. And so the common misconception is you got to go through everything alone. Nobody understands what difficulties you're going through. Don't burden somebody down. I mean, we're a joyful people. Let's not bring people down with our trials. Let's sugarcoat it. Let's try and make it seem better than it really is. And Paul is not holding back here. Paul is saying, actually, what's getting me through this is I'm relying on God's power, but God is also working through you. That we are the body. If one member suffers, we all suffer, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. That we are supposed to be closely connected. Anybody who has back pain understands it's not just your back that hurts. You feel it in your neck, your shoulders, your legs. Everything begins to suffer. And so you give attention to where it is so that you can help the problem. And so when we are suffering, when we're going through trials, we should be able to open up with our fellow believers and receive prayer, receive encouragement, receive love and support and guidance. We're not in this alone. You see, Paul was in great distress, and, and even though he was relying on everything, he still says, I, I was still unable to find comfort. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 7. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn. There was, there was fighting without, and there was fear within. So we had these external, external turmoils, but also inside of us, we were conflicted. We could not find rest. But then he goes on, and he says that Titus came to him. And he says in verse, verse 6, But God, who comforts the downcast, this is how God comforted him, comforted us by the coming of Titus, 
not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. Titus came and was able to give them comfort by being there and sharing, hey, this is what God's doing through his fellow people, through your brothers in Corinth. This is how they're also struggling, but take heart in it because they're holding firm. They've gone through this before. You're not alone, Paul. Paul needed somebody else to be there with him. You see, that's the whole thing. Satan would love to isolate Christians. He would love to get you to think that you can do it all on your own. You know that the suicide rate has been the highest that it's ever been since 2020. And you know why? Because of isolation. Because, not a judgment call, but we were all told to stay home. To not go anywhere. To not see people. To not be united in the gathering of the body. And so people were left home without any hope. They were left without the connection that we were created to have of being united with fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters. And they lost hope. And so they ended up taking their own life. May it never be said of that in the church. May it never be where a believer thinks there is nobody else that knows what I'm going through. I'm just going to keep it all to myself because I don't want to burden them, bring them down. But instead, may we be a place where you can open up and receive healing. James 5, 16 and 17 tells us that. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. And so we share our burdens. We don't isolate. We don't keep it inside. Satan would love to get you to fall on your own. Ecclesiastes talks about that where it talks about, you know, two are better than one. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to you, believer, when you think that you can isolate yourself and you're going through all those struggles and you refuse to open up and bring people in. Because, yeah, nobody's there to lift you up. But it is better to have somebody there who, when you fall, is able to help you up. Two are better than one. An army of 130 is still even better than that. An army of 4 billion worldwide? Man, imagine that. When we all, as believers in Jesus, come together... And as Galatians tells us, we bear one another's burdens. We are called not to do this life alone. God has given us the church to be there for each other. Woe to us if we're not willing to fulfill that commandment. So we wait in prayer. We wait in fellowship, encouraging one another, building one another up. And then lastly, we wait in grace. You see, Paul went through this huge list of trials in his life. He lists them all out. He, he does not hold back what he's gone through. Second Corinthians chapter 11. He says, five times 
I received 40 lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. I was on frequent journeys, and I was in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles. I was in danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers. I was in toil and hardship. I spent many a sleepless night. I was in hunger and thirst. I was often without food, cold, and exposure. And apart from other things, apart from all this, there was this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I was worried about you. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. I mean, Paul is just saying, look at the struggles that I've gone through. Like, look at all of this that has happened to me. And on top of all that, if that's not enough, the dude should never get on a boat again. Because he was shipwrecked three times. Once, I'm not trusting boats. You know, if I'm flying in a plane and it crashes, never again. The dude kept getting on boats. And on top of that, he was beaten. On top of that, he was in danger from natural elements. On top of that, he had his own fellow brothers stabbing him in the back. On top of that, he was hungry and cold. On top of that, he was constantly worrying about the church. And on top of that, he says in uh, verse 8, that there was this thorn given to him in his side. On top of everything, God gave him this thorn to humble him. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should be taken from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's saying, on top of everything, I had this constant nagging whatever it is that was stabbing me in the back, just continually reminding me of it. And he says, three times I pleaded. Can you relate with that? Where you're like, God, I have begged you to take this from me. God, I have begged you for that relationship to be restored. I have begged you for that healing. I have begged you for that freedom. God, I have begged you on my knees, pleading to remove this from me. And it's not going away. Jesus knows exactly what it's like. On the night of his betrayal, he goes to the garden and he knows the horrendous thing that is about to come before him. And in Matthew 26, Jesus says to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Even Jesus is like, man, I'm almost, I'm I'm to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus knew the importance of having fellowship. Going a little further, he fell on his face And he prayed. He knew the importance of prayer. And he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, relying on God's grace. 
Verse 44 says he left them again. He went away and he prayed a third time saying the same thing. Jesus, three different times praying to God the Father, remove this cup from me. Paul, three different times pleading with God the Father, remove this thorn from my flesh. And then us, multiple, multiple times praying, God, help me. God, deliver me. And yet God's answer comes through. My grace is sufficient in weakness. Rely on me. Rely on my grace. Rely on my strength. Rely on my power. When you are truly weak, oh, that is when you are the strongest. When you are relying on the strength of God, His grace will get you through. Not great news. If you're looking for a, everything's going to work out great in this life, amazing news. If you have faith that God is who he says he is and that he is faithful through it all, God says, I'm with you. We're going to get through this together. Don't lose hope. Don't take your focus off of me. Fix your eyes on me. See Jesus going through all of that the darkest hour in the history of the world as he took all the sins of the world upon himself and he experienced complete separation from God. But through that, we experience complete relationship with God, complete access to God. Through that darkest moment came the brightest time where we can be with God. And so I don't know what you're going through. In the Christian language, maybe you're on the mountain peak, maybe you're in the valley. Maybe you're having, like, man, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe you're like, oh my goodness, I can't, I'm in the darkest time of my life. Dig into God. Dive deep into Him. Dig into God through prayer, through fellowship, and hold firm to His grace. Remind yourselves of the truth of God. Hebrews 13, 5, he promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hold fast to who he is. I mean, look at Mary. She had to wait through trials, wait through uncertainty, wait through dark, dark times, and she saw her son, even through it all, being nailed to a cross, but then we're also told that she was one of the first ones he revealed himself to. That she got to see the Messiah risen. If you work through your difficulties relying on God, you will see the resurrection. Even honestly, if it means death on this earth, it is eternal life. Through the trials of the cross, Salvation came to be offered for all. Through the trials of your life, God is working even if you don't feel him. He is present. Rely on him. Do not give up, but dig in. As we close with this song, whatever God is working in your heart, draw near to him. But I want to remind you of this truth. Faith is not that God's going to give you everything you want, but it's that he is God and that he is good, and that is far better than every, anything we could ever desire. So through this song, I encourage you, dig in to God, draw near to him. Father God, uh, God, 
thank you for your promises. Um, God, there's so many trials that this life throws at us. And God, I thank you that you are always present. God, that you are working even through the trials, whether we feel it or not. And God, there might be people here this morning who feel so distant from you that it just feels like you're not with them. God, I pray, reveal yourself to them. Let your grace fall upon them. And then God, there might be people who are in the mountaintops who are having a good life right now, receiving so many blessings from you. And God, I I pray that when we are in a good time, may we come alongside fellow brothers and sisters and encourage them. So God, I pray if there be anybody here this morning who needs encouragement, may they find somebody and just open up to them. God, if there be anybody here who is not walking in relationship with you, may they make the decision to make you Lord of their life and find their strength in you. God, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, work in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.